This episode is brought to you by MGMA Events. Join us June 6th through the 8th for a robust and convenient learning experience featuring education from industry leaders covering a wide variety of challenges facing medical practices today. MGMA Summit is a signature online event that allows you to take control of your journey by attending live or by accessing the sessions at your own pace until July 8th. Go to mgma.com events to learn more and to register today. This episode is brought to you by Dynamedics. Dynamedics empowers healthcare professionals with advanced evidence-based clinical decision support to help improve patient outcomes. You can learn more at dynamedics.com. Hi, everyone. I'm Daniel Williams, Senior Editor of MGMA and host of the MGMA Podcast Network. Today, we welcome Jeffrey Dagrapont to the show. Jeffrey is Senior Vice President, Health Information Technology at Coker Group. And he's here today to talk about confessions of a hacker, how cyber attackers have targeted remote workers. Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you, sir. Honor and privilege. And in full transparency, I am not a hacker, but uh, we deal with a lot of hacking incidents. But um, uh, so I'll be confessing things I've seen and, and heard and hopefully sharing some wisdom that will help others uh, protect themselves and their, their practices, but but not a hacker. <laughs> well, that was that was a catchy title and uh, you kind of stole my thunder. I was going to ask if you were, in fact, a hacker. So good to know that you are tracking the hackers and studying that area of uh, cybersecurity. So thanks for letting us know yeah, that. I appreciate now, the For sure. Now, before we go into too deep of a dive into this topic of cyber attackers, hackers, and remote workers, first, just for our listeners' edification, wanted you to tell us a little bit about who the Coker Group is and, and really what your focus is there. Sure. No, uh, happy to. Yeah, Coker's been around for 30 years now. I've uh, been with the company 22 of those years, and we're an advisory um, consulting firm. We've been uh, very honored and privileged to have a strong working relationship with MGMA, where we provide a lot of um, content, education, speaking, writing, publishing, and frequently we speak at the annual meetings, so, and as well as the, um, the local chapters as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we basically provide advisory services, no uh, vendor conflicts, um, no financial affiliations with any vendors or products, just strictly professional advisory services. Okay. Well, thanks for uh, letting us know about that. And as I mentioned earlier, you do have a, a topic that's definitely interesting to me. I think it's interesting to a lot of our listeners out there. Um, and I'm just going to read this title again because I love it because it terrifies me a little bit and also piques my interest. Confessions of a Hacker, How Cyber Attackers Have Targeted Remote Workers. So as we all know, uh, since COVID, uh, work has changed. There are a lot of uh, remote work uh, taking place, even in the healthcare space. And so talk about that. How has that remote work added an extra element uh, that really has to keep cybersecurity on its toes to protect people from cyber attackers and hackers out there? 
Right. Yeah, I think definitely we all saw when COVID hit, everyone across all industry sectors um, found themselves suddenly having to set up home networks and, and adjusting for the new norms. And then coupled with COVID, which I don't think anyone expected this, there was massive labor shortages, which continue to this day. And one of the dynamics that sort of come out of COVID is no one wants to return back to the office. In fact, most people are finding to even recruit uh, workers, they're expecting and demanding uh, flexible work from home hours. So I, I think this is going to be something we'll continue to see. Um, I, I don't think it's as big of a threat to productivity as, as we once thought, as long as you, you know, measure performance or whatnot. So I think we're, we're going to be in for this um, structure for, for uh, the foreseeable future where companies will continue to allow their employees to work from home. Okay. So what are some of the ways that hackers are targeting remote workers? Let us know what that looks like out there. Yeah, you know, you oftentimes think of a cybersecurity breach incident, uh, you know, kind of like what you might see in the movies where you have this uh, Russian, you know, computer code cracker, you know, in a basement somewhere, although they are using their basement, just the, the basement of their parents' house, they, they have it out. Um, and, 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 and they're running advanced, you know, uh, programs to crack code and crack passwords. More times than not, it's a very simple breach. In fact, in many instances, the employee volunteers or unintentionally volunteers their credentials, and they can use a number of methods. The most common one that I find extremely deceptive and even hard to train for is they do something what's called social engineering. And you've probably even seen some examples of this or maybe even seen an attempt uh, on, on your own personal um, uh, interactions when you're on uh, social media network sites. An example of this might be the normal post that we all see, right? Um, please pray for my sister. She just got diagnosed with cancer. A horrible post, right? Very mm -hmm. emotional. Well, hackers know that your emotions now are focused on your loved one. And they will oftentimes research you as an individual, figure out where you work, uh, figure out your email address. You might say, well, how do they figure out, how do they get my email address? Well, it's right on your website. You know, like go to Coker Group. You'll see that it's jdaggerfine at cokergroup.com. I could figure yours out. In fact, you probably have it published on the web somewhere. Yeah. Well, the next thing they'll do is they'll create uh, what's called a Trojan horse or some malware in a form of a, like a PDF, um, a, a, a benefit uh, or a, a, a donation in your sister's name that someone made um, and, 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 and we'll email that to the person. And now you're, they're connecting your emotions to personal events in your life, hoping that you let your guard down. And many people do, even the best of trained people will oftentimes let their guard down because why and who is so, um, unethical that they would do something like that. And, and obviously you care about your sister. So you click on the, the document and there's the malware. And so oftentimes they get into your life through um, studying your behavior, uh, seeing things that, that you post. And I'm not trying to discourage people from living your life and making posts like that, but just be very mindful that you got to just, unfortunately, you really cannot trust anything these days. And um, the, you, you might remember back in the uh, several years ago before social media, remember those chain emails mm -hmm. that you would get randomly that if you didn't forward to 20 people, you would die by the day. You had to forward it. You had no right, choice. Right. Well, that was sort of the original 
uh, malware, the, the hackers would start those and they would figure out by the 20 top people in your network that you'd forward to, well, the next thing you might get would be a spoof email that looked like it was coming from a person you knew. Well, how do they mm. figure that you forward the email to them and, and copied right. all the people you know. So that's that's kind of another example of that, you know, and how it's, it's evolved. Um, other types of um, ways, and this is obviously it's it's innocent, but, um, you know, the employee just leaves the laptop on the counter and the kid jumps on. Hey, mom, I'm going to check my Facebook. And before you know it, they're downloading the SpongeBob screensaver, which was, um, you know, malware or uh, some type of um, uh, bad site that they actually found themselves on. And before mm-hmm. you know it, the device is infected. And now they bring that device back to the office and the whole office is infected. So it, it usually is very low tech, low um, uh, vulnerabilities. And, and that's essentially how most of these happen. Mm-hmm. Just to get into the reasons behind it, is it, is it all revenue-based? Do they want money? Or is there something else that these hackers are trying to get into? What is it? Yeah, the vast majority, there's there's sort of three types of, of hacking. I think it, I think there's actually terminology. One is called hacktivism, where those are just bad actors that attack. Uh, they're usually political agendas behind them. Like they may attack Planned Parenthood and, and uh, groups like that, that they just don't believe in what they stand for. So, or there may be stealing intellectual property that you have those hackers you have government hacking which is very common these days i'm sure we even do it to a certain extent where you're just basically trying to disrupt and um use hacking as a form of um of of, of government spying and whatnot and then the third which is the most common it is a big business i mean i think a medical record is worth on the black market anywhere between 100 to 200 dollars per record and in fact there's actually something you might find this a little bit amusing uh, called ethical hacking, which is hmm. uh, when you do hack, you ask for the ransomware and they pay it, the hackers get really upset with each other if you don't release the data uh, back to or, or, or unlock the system because they feel like it's bad for business. Because, you know, the, the question always is, well, how can I trust somebody that's this unethical? Well, they found in the hacking world that if they don't, if they're not honoring their promises after they hack you and and actually uh, unlocking your computers then then you'll stop paying the ransomware so so there's actually some ethics among the hackers in fact they recently figured out that they were probably asking for too much money we've seen the demands of ransomware actually come down a little bit because there's so many people now doing it so it's just like any other market they they do it for for profit and and income and and revenue and and it pays well and if you think of a medical record it is rich in personal data i mean everything you need to apply for a loan uh the still credit the still identity it's um you know next of kin it's social it's address it's past addresses personal information things that they could use to even blackmail you with so it's uh it's probably the most lucrative uh, type of record that the hackers are most interested in. And unfortunately, uh, many of our practices, especially small practices, tend to be the, the less hardened. So they're, they're the easiest targets too. Okay. This may be naive, but I have to ask it. So when hackers do get those medical records, what's, what's the next steps for them? What have you seen? What do they do with the medical records? Yeah, so there's two sort of ways that they extort. The first is, and they usually do do a combination of both, is they they are oftentimes going to 
lock out your system, hoping that you don't have a backup. So that type of uh, attack is a ransomware attack. We're probably more familiar with that or those kind of things oftentimes make the headlines where they lock down a network and in order to get your data back, you got to pay the ransomware. There's other times where they come in and out and don't have any intentions of locking down your network. They just want to extract and remove data. That, that Those are harder to detect because unless you have monitoring that, that you're actually watching for the traffic or better yet, you're blocking traffic from, from bad actors or known countries that do a lot of hacking, they can sometimes be attacking your patients and the patients may not even connect the dots back to the practice until it hits on a large scale. But they're oftentimes what they're most interested in is uh, compiling a large database of it, then they sell it to people that want to commit fraud. Okay. And, and then they usually oftentimes will sell access to information because if you get hacked, they almost always come knocking again. So once you're sort of seen in the black market as a weak target, then, okay, we know this was the vulnerability. This was the system they're using. They, they keep very good records. And that's usually also uh, something that they'll resell is, hey, we have a, a weak target that's been hit. You know, give me 5,000. I'll share it with my, you know, hacking friends and, and they can hit you too. Mm. Okay. So what, what do we do then? What can practices do to protect themselves in office and for those remote workers as well? Yeah. I mean, this obviously is going to sound very basic and I'm not trying to oversimplify, but so much of this truly does come down to education. There's really no technological tool on the market that can stop a person from clicking on something that they shouldn't click on. Now, there are lots of tools on the market that can do as much as we possibly can to filter, keep things from coming heavy, you know, spam, email filtration at your routers and networks. You can put filters, you can block, you should have all. I mean, if you, you really don't have a need to interact with anyone in Russia, those websites, you know, there's lists you can buy. In fact, the, the, the companies that offer security usually provide known threats and, and they can actually go into your routers and switches and put filters to, they're going to come in. You just don't want them to, to make it to the desktop or the phone or the email address of the user. They're still coming to you. You just want to filter. That's, that's your first line of defense. The second thing, and, and this is the gold standard. And if you have this, it's pretty hard to get around uh, multi-factor authentication. And that's mm. an inexpensive tool. But basically what that is, is, um, when you, you probably see this, uh, you probably have some apps. In fact, most of your we banking apps is now where you get a token, right? And that token is going to expire. And so in order for someone to breach you or hack you, they not only have to crack your password, but they also have to likely be holding onto your phone or have rerouted your phone number or text to them so they can enter that token. It's pretty hard to pull off all three of those things at one time. And so that's oftentimes good. And then, then a third line of defense is something called insider threat monitoring. Now, this does not mean that we think we have dark employees working for us, but we do have employees that sometimes do things that by mistake, or maybe they, they got suckered into the social media scan, I mean, the uh, social engineering, you can have tools that monitor all the activity. So if one of your employees' laptops fires up at three in the morning, and that person never works at three in the morning, that might be something you would question the next day. It just looks like suspicious activities occurring. And I, I, I realize that we don't want to be seen as big brother, but you really truly have to take a, a trust and verify and, and monitor. And you should let all your employees know 
look, I'm okay with you working from home, but you need to know we are monitoring that device. And in okay. fact, you should have a policy in your office if you allow for bring your own device that their personal device is even subject to e-discovery and auditing. If there's an incident, that device may have to be quarantined. So again, I don't have a problem with you working from your own device or from home. Just know that we may have to you know, quarantine your device or audit it. And if there's personal things on there you don't want your employer to see, then, then you need to be aware that that's not to get use of your device. So some employees are now separating the devices. They, they kind of pulled away from bringing your own device. Um, it's about 50-50. But those three things that I said, um, you know, the education, the uh, multi-factor authentication, and the uh, monitoring tools are the three best lines of defense. Okay. Oh, so, one more. Yeah, uh, go right ahead. This is really important. Make sure, this is so important, that you encourage your employees to self-report. You'd be surprised how many times there's an incident when we say, okay, who all clicked on this bad link? And not many people come forward out of fear they're going to get in trouble. It's like you tell your kids, look, if you've been at a party drinking, call me. No questions asked. I'll come get you. I'll be disappointed, but I'm not, you're not going to get in trouble. If you start, um, you know, uh, getting on to your employees for self-reporting or, or making honest mistakes, there's a good chance they just won't report those incidents. And, and you'll find yourself very vulnerable in that case. Okay. Now, in looking at your presentation uh, that you have, you're also talking about complying with HIPAA and High Tech Act requirements. So what do practices do to ensure they're doing that? Yeah, so the government has obviously taken this pretty serious. And in fact, they now tie our, you know, meaningful use incentive money and uh, other uh, conditions to doing what's called the security risk analysis and or assessment, I should say that is um, required to be done annually. The good news is there's there's check, uh, uh, there's check forms that you can download from, I think it's healthcare.gov that describes exactly what that process is. Where people oftentimes fail in their uh, security risk assessments is they don't have all the BAAs with their third-party partners, companies that might be interacting with PHI or doing work on behalf. In fact, a lot of the incidents occur by third-party people that have a relationship with the practice. So you need to make sure that you get all your BAAs in place to be in compliance. And basically, it's just an annual assessment to make sure that you're, um, you're, you're having a good security posture. The other most common cause for failing those assessments is you're not keeping up with your patching. Uh, every year, all your IT applications, Microsoft, Adobe, your EMR vendors, they all come out with updates to address vulnerabilities, known vulnerabilities, and some that just pop up out of nowhere. And if you don't keep those patches up to date, you're, you're at risk all the time. Okay. Every organization has an outdated update. I mean, it's, it's hard to keep up with them. That's why right. they want this every year, so you can force yourself to, to address them when they are outdated. All right. Before we sign off then, are there resources you can point our listeners to, might want to know more about? cybersecurity, how to protect themselves, how to protect those remote workers? Yeah, I think two things. One, that we've been doing this for years for MGMA, and this is at, at, actually at, at absolutely no cost. I'm more than welcome to, to review any contract that you might have with your vendor, just to make sure that you have proper contractual language in the event that a vendor that you're working with has a breach. That's that's certainly one resource that, that I think MGMA has always been generous to 
let us offer to their members. Uh, you can also do something that's very inexpensive called a vulnerability scan. There's some that range from free to just a few thousand dollars. And these tools, uh, if you don't know how to run one yourself, you can usually get most IT companies will have them or can do it for you. A scan basically will crawl through your entire network and see if there's any threats lurking around. Those should be done you know, after you make a major change or after an update or just do it annually with your SRA. And then I think uh, definitely, you know, if you have your IT company that does the, uh, most companies now do annual phishing campaigns where they, it's what, it sounds like phishing, but it's with a P. That's basically where they'll right. send spoof emails to all the employees just to test the, the knowledge and education. You can also hire someone to hack you, see if they can hack. It's called white hacking or penetration testing. Okay. There's companies out there that um, if you really, want to test your your build and your security uh don't tell your employees they're doing it the whole the whole intent behind that is to see if they can can break through but there are companies that do what's called um white hacking which is the good guys trying to hack you and it and see how how well you do and and i also think you should sometimes practice your instant response right i mean let's uh, do a mock trial don't wait until you actually have one and then start panicking i mean what happens if your whole system goes down what's your backup what's your redundancy and probably the best advice I'll end on is just have a good backup. I mean, if, if a hacker takes you down and, you know, tell them to go pound sand, you got a backup. I mean, you're still going to have to report patients. It's embarrassing, but at least they cannot shut you out or, or take your data and lock it down. Uh, backups are, are, are inexpensive. There's lots of services that provide that. Keep it offsite. Don't back up and next to your main computer or leave the tape in the office. But backing up is, a, is also a good line of defense as well. All right. Well, Jeffrey, thanks so much for joining us and sharing these thoughts about cybersecurity and remote workers. Absolutely. Honor uh, again, and I uh, hope everyone enjoys the rest of their day. And if there's any questions or follow up, please feel free to reach out directly. All right. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of MGMA's Insights Podcast. Thanks again to Jeffrey Dagrapon, Senior Vice President, Health Information Technology at Coker Group. Now, as a reminder, you can hear Jeffrey speak on this topic of cyber attacks and remote workers at MGMA's Summit digital event. That's going to be June 8th when he's going to be speaking. So go to mgma.com events to learn more and to register. And thanks for being a loyal listener to the MGMA Podcast Network. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership.